Um, good morning, everyone. My name is not Tim Behrens. <clears throat> Tim and Barbara were away in Colombia this week, not, not vacationing on some hot beach, but on a remote island of about 12,000 people visiting their daughter, who's a missionary there. And uh, their flight got delayed severely. So uh, you have me this morning. My name's Andrew, uh, and we're going to continue our Advent series uh, entitled Mary's Song this morning. And what we're really doing in this series is looking at what we can learn from Mary and the circumstances uh, that lead to her singing this song called the Magnificat and, and what we can learn as followers of Jesus from Mary. Because Mary is put before us as a model for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so this morning, we are gonna continue that journey and I invite you to take a Bible out we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and what we're going to do is focus on verses 46 to 49, but I'm actually going to read us through the whole song so that we hear the whole thing, get a sense of uh, what is going on, and then we're going to focus on these first few verses of Mary's song. So if you want to use a pew Bible, you can find our passage on page 831. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46, and we'll read through to verse 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. This too is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come upon us and enable us to understand these words we've just read I ask that you would illumine our hearts and minds um, to see truth here and to be shaped by what we see in a way that empowers us to live for Jesus with our whole heart and our whole life. Come, Holy Spirit, in this time, I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So last week we saw with Mary uh, this focus on her faith on what it means to have faith in the Lord. And in the first few verses of the song that Mary sings, the focus really brings us to a key component of the Christian life, and that's worship. That to be a follower of Jesus, to, to, to be a Christian, is to be a person who's going to worship. And that's what we're gonna delve into this morning. We're gonna look at what is worship, and why is Mary worshiping. Last week we saw how Mary's life is being turned upside down 
in every way, socially, um, religiously, her body, right, is no longer just her own. She's going to have a human growing in her body. And in those circumstances, why does she sing? Why would you do that? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And first, I want us to remember the context, because this is key for looking at the question of worship. Remember that God is on the move, that the Holy Spirit has been moving around, uh, orchestrating things. God has been sending angels, and the Holy Spirit, God himself, has been announcing the incredible news of Jesus' birth to Mary herself and to Elizabeth, and revealing who this child is who's going to be born. It's the Spirit of God who reveals who God is and what he has done and what he is doing. And this tells us a key thing, that when it comes to the the element of worship in the Christian life, is we can't see God unless God shows himself to us. It's God's Holy Spirit who enables us to worship. The second thing I want us to remember about the context is that Mary isn't alone. She's with Elizabeth. She's with Elizabeth. And this tells us that community is key. Community is essential if you are going to live the Christian life, if you are going to be a person who's going to worship this God. In the reading that was done for us from Psalm 34, it said, glorify the Lord with me. Right? Let us exalt his name together. The community of the church is essential, but it's more than just having people to sing with, right? I mean, that's nice. It's nice to sing with other people, but it's so much more than that because there is so much to God and so many facets of his character for you to discover in your life that you cannot possibly discover all of it on your own. You need to be connected to a group of people who are following Jesus. True spirituality is not a solo mission. It's not like when you go to a Build-A-Bear store and you get to choose all the, the, the aspects of a bear that you love and you get to pull them and build this one bear. That's how a lot of people treat spirituality in our culture, right? I'll take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I'll have God's mercy and grace, but, you know, justice and holiness, ooh, let's leave that out, Right? It's not how it works. And if you go it alone, you're vulnerable to do that. And in the end, what you'll be worshiping isn't the true and living God. You'll be worshiping a delusion, a a creation of your own imagination. We need all kinds of people to learn from and to speak into our lives. Okay, so that's the context. When we're talking about worship, the Holy Spirit is essential, fundamental. He enables us to see the God that we worship. Second of all, community is essential. Now let's dive in to what Mary does. Look in verses 46 and 47. Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The two action words there, magnify and rejoice. We're going to take a look at these to see what it means to worship. And by the way, there are many biblical words for worship, but we're going to focus on these two. Let's look at magnify first, okay? When you hear that word magnify, it is what it sounds like. 
Think about a magnifying glass. What a magnifying glass does is it takes something and makes it bigger, right? So that you can see it. The biblical word behind this is mega luno. Mega, you know that word, right? What does mega mean? It makes something bigger. So you can talk about a ton, right? A unit of measurement, measurement that's like operating in the thousands. But a megaton is a unit of measurement operating in the millions, all right? Mega, it's, it's an amplifying word. It means, to, to magnify the Lord means you want to make him great. You want to amplify the greatness of God. You want to make much of God. That second word, rejoice. Now, this isn't talking about, you know, just a bit of joy that you feel inside you. Rejoice is actually an extreme joy that finds outward expression. It's extreme joy that finds outward expression. And here's what's happening in Mary. She is focusing all her attention on who God is and what he's done, right? She's going over his excellencies and there's just this eruption of praise that rises up from within her because she is realizing the supreme worth. She's realizing the supreme worth of this God who is announcing his good news to her and bringing her into his purposes. She's recognizing the value of this God who is addressing her and working in her life. That's why she's rejoicing. Worship is about attributing ultimate worth and value. It's about attributing ultimate worth and value to God. That's actually where we get our English word worship. It, it comes from the old English worth-ship, worth-ship. It's attributing ultimate value to God. And Mary is discovering this, and what it's actually doing is drawing her whole life, the entirety of her being, to be given over to, to amplify the greatness of this God and to rejoice in him. Notice the two words, my soul magnifies, my spirit rejoices. She's not talking about two distinct, like, cut apart, severed parts of the human person. Hebrew poetry often likes to say the same thing twice, just a little bit different. It's, it's, it's what you do to make your point. So she's not drawing this sharp distinction between soul and spirit and to say your body's not involved. Because the word soul in the biblical language doesn't just refer to the wispy, immaterial part of you. The soul is your life. It includes everything. And so what Mary's really saying is that worship is about every part of us responding to God, even the deep parts of our spirit, but even our bodies, even our minds, even our affections. Okay, so that's what's going on here as Mary opens us and uh, leads us into her song. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So what we're gonna do now is consider three reasons why she is magnifying the Lord. Three reasons why she is magnifying the Lord. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot more. And actually the whole song is more and more and more reasons, but we're gonna focus on the first three 
because I think we want to have lunch sometime today, not tomorrow. <laughs> so the first reason she is responding with worship, the first reason she, she's choosing to sing and worship God is because God has given her his attention. Look in verse 47. It begins with that little word for. Again, this is talking about the reason. This is the grounds for her worship. He has been mindful. Or some translations say he has had regard for the humble state of his servant. Now, she is aware that God sees her. And this word is actually an affectionate word. It's not like dispassionate, oh, I see you. It's an affectionate word that this God sees her. He's noticed her. She has his attention. And this tells us that the reason why Mary is making much of God, the reason she's ascribing ultimate worth and value to him, at least part of the reason, is because she knows that this God has made much of her. She's starting to see that this God has made much of her, right? She, remember, a lowly peasant teenager from Nazareth. Nothing good ever comes from Nazareth. That was a common saying in Jesus' day. Now, I grew up in Newmarket, and the Nazareth equivalent was a place called Keswick. Um, if you're from Keswick, I'm really sorry. Uh, I don't mean to offend you, but when someone said, you know, I'm from Keswick, everyone in the room kind of went, ooh, Keswick. Right? That, that's the reputation of Nazareth in Jesus' day. That's where she's from. And, and she's a woman, which today, of, of course, we wouldn't think twice at, but in that day, this was a culture where women were mostly treated as possessions, not as people. And a woman who, to boot, would have a nasty reputation because of the questionable circumstances of her pregnancy. And yet this God has been mindful of her. He's noticing her. He's given her his attention, which I can imagine for Mary must have just communicated to her in the deepest parts of her that this God loves her and that this God is a good God. That even though the world could not care less about her, God Almighty sees her and takes notice. I mean, who doesn't want attention? Who doesn't want attention. Think about the feeling you get when you're in a room and the most important person in the room acknowledges you, takes notice of you, knows your name. Doesn't that feel like, wow, I feel noticed here, right? People want to get noticed. This is part of what it means to be human. There's this deep hunger to be noticed and to have attention. I mean, this is the whole premise of social media, right? You engage on social media, you post, you friend people, you like things. Why? So that people will notice you, right? You want to get noticed. And here's the thing about social media is that what people are noticing and what you're putting forward to see isn't the real you, right? I mean, it, it's, it's the version of yourself that you choose to put out. It's the version of you that you're proud of. It's the version of you that you think are gonna help other people like you. And what you put out is this carefully crafted, finessed version of yourself, right? And they're not seeing the real you because you're not 
showing it to them because you want to get noticed. And right, it's compelling because there's something deep in our hearts that just wants to be noticed and affirmed. You feel it deep down. You want people to think you're great. You want people to see how great you are. For the generations who aren't on social media, think about your Christmas card. Think about the Christmas card that you send out or that you email out every year. What do you put on the Christmas card? Do you put a picture of you guys, your family having breakfast in the morning and it's like real life to give people a sense of what real life is about? No, you put this, you know, it's staged. You, You all got on matching flannel shirts or something and scarves, right? Like, uh, it's curated. You're, you're trying to evoke this, like, ideal picture. Um, this is our picture from a couple years ago, okay? Um, we're not, like, matching in flannel. I was wearing flannel. I don't um, But there's something you got to know about this picture. It's not a real picture. <laughs> because I photoshopped Zoe's face into the picture because we were smiling here and Zoe wasn't but she was smiling there and it was great so I took her face and put it right there I don't know what Eli was doing here he was kind of doing a pucker thing going on why am I telling you this right because when we send out the Christmas card we want this ideal picture we want people to see how great we are We, we want to get noticed in the right ways we want People's esteem, okay, I did that. I'm not proud of it. (laughs) Don't judge me. Let's move on. The Christmas card version of you, the Instagram or Facebook version of you is not the real you. The real you has like snot and spittle crustified on your shoulder from your toddler. The real you in your family, your kids have ketchup in their hair. Right, you don't always smell good. You can be grouchy and childish and ornery and lazy. But we put forward our ideal because we want people to esteem us, right? We want to be esteemed. And here's how God's attention is different. Here's how God's noticing of us is different. God sees the real you. He's not getting the Instagram version. He's not getting the Christmas card version. He sees the version of yourself that you're trying to hide from everyone else. He, he sees the, the dirt that's deep in your soul, the, the, the dirt that's deep in your thoughts, the dirt that's deep in your will and in your affections. He sees your mistakes, your glaring faults, your deepest regrets, those darkest things about you. He sees it all and he still loves you. He sees it all, and he sends his son to come and rescue you and I. That's how God sees us. That's, how, that's why Mary is responding in worship, because she can just be totally open before this God who sees her, who's taken notice of even her because of his immense grace and mercy and it brings about this revolution in her life right i'm not going to live to amplify my own name i want to live to make god's name great 
Because when you have the esteem of the God of the universe, he's not just the most important person in the room, he's the most important person in creation. Don't you think that'll start to change you? To become someone who worships this God. God's attention brings Mary to worship and it brings us to worship as well. Mary is also responding in worship to God's mighty deeds, right? Look in verse 48. It says, for, uh, sorry, 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me. She, she's starting to notice and, and learn and discover that this God doesn't just see her, but he's acting on her behalf. He's stepping out in action and she calls him the mighty one. Isn't that an incredible title? The mighty one, the powerful one, the able one has done great things for me. That word great, it's the word mega. God is doing mega things for me. For me. Right? This peasant becoming the mother of the king and savior of the world. And our worship flows out of an awareness of knowing the great things God has done for us, right? We, like Mary, need to live in the awareness of what the mighty one has done for us, uh, of his power um, displayed for us. Mary is not just talking about um, you know, the great things doesn't mean like sp- just, just spiritualized benefits, just feelings of niceness, niceness. She's talking about concrete actions of God in history who's moving to save and redeem her along with her people and you and I. I mean, this song is a powerful song. This song is not always just the cute and cuddly Magnificat that we sometimes see and hear of at Christmas time. William Temple, he was a former Archbishop of Canterbury, um, which means he was the leader of the Church of England in the 1920s to the 1940s. And this is fascinating. When William Temple used to uh, commission missionaries to go to India, he told them, he counseled them to never read the Magnificat in public when unbelievers were present. Why? Because in a country like India with, this, with abject poverty, he was worried that this portion of scripture might incite people to riots and violence. The great Methodist preacher E. Stanley Jones called the Magnificat the most revolutionary document in the history of the world. Whoa. Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, said that the Magnificat comforts the lowly and terrifies the rich, right? As, As we heard the song, we heard Mary sing about God scattering the proud, bringing down rulers from their thrones and lifting up the humble, filling the hungry with good things and sending the rich away empty. These are part of the mighty deeds of God, right? The concrete deeds of rescue, And Mary is experiencing the kind of reversal and rescue that God's kingdom brings, right? This isn't just spiritualized benefits. God's concrete acts on your behalf leads us to ask the question of ourselves, what are the great things God has done for me? 
What are the great things God has done for you? How has God rescued you in your life? Right, when we come to worship, we need to come and be ready to engage our minds and remember the things he's done for us. And those lead us to thank him. Wow, I'm alive today. I don't remember making myself. I don't remember knitting my sinews and bones together. Thank you, God, for making me. Thank you for my health, my kids, my family, and my friends. Thank you that you have brought me in. Thank you that you have forgiven my sin. Thank you that you are making me whole. Right? We need to remember God's mighty deeds. And this afternoon, I would encourage you, if you get time, to sit and reflect. What are, what are God's mighty deeds on my behalf that I need to remember? What, what might the Lord want to remind you of? And even share those with your family at lunch or dinner time. It's a concrete thing you can do to bring worship into your household. Say, hey guys, God has done this. This is amazing. He is good. He is good. The last reason that we see in our text for why Mary sings is God's holiness. Mary is responding to his holiness. The end of verse 39, or 49. And it almost seems like an afterthought, right? It's, all, it's almost tacked on there. But look at what she says. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Now let me just say, this is not an afterthought. This is not just, whoop, tacked on there. Mary is worshiping God because she is discovering that this God is holy. What does that mean? When we hear the word holy, we, we often go to purity, right? Moral purity, that this God has no sin, that there's no death uh, you know, associated with him, there's no stain on his character. But holiness goes far beyond that. It's about his very being. It's that this God ha has no beginning and no end. He's the eternal God who speaks and it happens. He creates wor worlds when he speaks. God's holiness means this, that he is set apart. I like how R.C. Sproul says it. He says that it means God is a cut above, right? He is a cut above. That's what holiness fundamentally means. He, he, he's not the same as us. He is holy other. To put it another way, he's the CEO of the universe. And that means he is worthy of our worship. Right? He, his name is worthy to be, be amplified. Uh, she is realizing, Mary is realizing that this God is of ultimate worth and value because what increases the worth of something? Is something more valuable when there's lots of it? Or is something more value when there's only one of it? Yeah, scarcity drives up the value of things. Well, this God is completely unique, completely single, completely alone in a category of his own. There is no one like him. She's realizing his value. And she's rejoicing because this God has noticed her 
and has done mighty deeds on her behalf. And let me just say this morning, um, you might be thinking, well, you know, uh, I don't really give my worship to anything. You might not be a Christian this morning, you might just be uh, considering Jesus, and you might think, man, um, you Christians, you worship this God and you say that he's holy, well, I don't worship anything, so I'm good, thank you very much. But let me just tell you that the world isn't divided into people who worship and people who don't. The world is divided into people who worship the only good and proper object of worship and into people who worship the wrong thing that leads you into a distortion of yourself and a distortion of your life. You are going to worship. Um, there's a fundamental definition of humanity uh, that I love, um, right? There's homo sapiens, which is, you know, humanity as a thinking being. I prefer the homo adorans. Adorans, the Latin for worship. That fundamentally, we are creatures who were created to worship and we are going to worship something, whether that's the living God or whether that's created things, whether that's ourselves, whether it's a relationship, whether it's our kids, whether it's our career, whether it's money. And what Mary is pointing out is that this God being holy means that when you worship him and you give your life to worship him, you're not gonna be wasting your breath and you're not gonna be wasting your life because you're gonna be worshiping the one who is eternal, the one who um, will last forever, the one who is the author of truth and beauty and love, and he's gonna get you in touch with these things as you start to worship him in your life. He's the only one worthy of our worship, but let me just say, he's the only one you should worship. He's the only one you should worship. St. Augustine summed it up well when he said, our hearts are restless, O God. Our hearts are restless, O God, until they find their rest in you. Satisfaction can only be had when we are worshiping the true, living, and holy God. Now I wanna bring us one step beyond the holiness of God, right? God could be the CEO of the universe, and that's great, but if you don't have access to him, what good is that, right? What does it matter to me if he's the CEO of the universe and I don't have access to him? I don't care, right? I'm down in the mailroom. What do I care? Right? That, that's how often people think of the holiness of God, that, that God is so set apart that that means we don't have access to him. Right? And that's how it usually works in the world. Right? The more set apart you are, the less people have access to you. The mailroom person does not have access to the CEO. Normal people don't have access to the prime minister. Right? The higher up you go, the more restricted your access. And so that's how often people view God, right? He's up there, he's transcendent. That's a fancy word for he's big and he's other. And if you want to get to him, here's what you gotta do. You've got to transcend, right? If you wanna get to this God, you've gotta climb the ladder. You need to become holy enough and good enough. If you want access, you've got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get there. That's not the gospel, that's not 
what the Bible says, right? The, the Christian God is totally different. The Christian God is totally holy, yet at Christmas, what we celebrate and remember is that God comes down to us, right? He's not there waiting to see who's good enough and who's going to climb the mountain to get to him. He comes down. He comes all the way down in order to grant us access to himself. Do you realize that? Do we realize this? He comes down, taking on our flesh and blood, right, in that vulnerable child. And even more than that, he doesn't just come down and become one of us, he actually comes down and dies uh, the death that we deserved. He comes down and takes all of our unholiness onto himself. He comes down and touches unholy people. He comes down and ministers the grace and mercy of God to broken people. And he doesn't just notice you. He does mighty deeds for you. He goes to the cross. Think about that mighty deed. That Christ died on the cross that, that we might have access, unfettered, unmitigated, permanent access into the very life of God, brothers and sisters. This is what we're celebrating at Christmas. And it's when we see this holy God, the CEO of the universe, coming down into the mailroom and taking up with us that we realize that he is worthy of our worship and even that we are brought to desire to worship this God, to desire to make his name great, to rejoice because he's noticed you. He's done mighty deeds on your behalf and he's granted you access into his holy presence. May we realize the value of the one who invites us to turn to him in faith and may we live in the awareness of God's worth and how we might live to give him what he's worth. How we might live to give him what he's worth. I wanna pray and then I'll invite the worship team to come up and close our service. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the ministry of your word and we pray that you would open our minds to see the ways that you've noticed us, open our minds to see your mighty deeds on our behalf at the forefront of which is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for us. Thank you for your holiness and that you've given us access to you. Would you come and lead us as we worship and make us people who live to amplify your name, to make your name great and no one else pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.